soldier, a farmer, a diplomat, an advocate and a father. He was also a politician, the leader of the National Party and Deputy Prime Minister of Australia. Tim Fisher was one of those rare politicians who was well-liked and respected across the political spectrum by colleagues and constituents. Peter Rees was a federal political correspondent for the Melbourne Sun, the West Australian and the Sunday Telegraph, and has just completed a biography on Tim Fisher called I Am Tim, Life, Politics and Beyond. Peter, welcome to you. Thanks very much, Andy. For working journalists, the impression of Tim was that he was always on the hop. This is how he earned this uh, affectionate nickname, Two Minute Tim. You always caught him for a quick comment, departing or alighting various forms of transport, usually his beloved trains, with a bag and a hat in hand. That was the last time I spoke to Tim Fisher, curbside at Sydney Airport as news of the death of Pope Benedict broke. What about you? What was Tim Fisher to you, Peter? He was uh, somebody who represented an old style of politics in in one sense. He came from a generation that that, uh, held um, integrity in politics to be um, at the the forefront. I mean, when he was elected leader, um, Alan Ramsey, uh, one of um, the... uh, the, uh, uh, most notable um, commentators in the gallery at the time uh, referred to him as um, the first dingbat ever to lead the National Party. Uh, that was the that that was the uh, the way that he was seen. And yet, at the same time, he had this this uh, association with uh, with values of of rural Australia that uh, that he represented that uh, held him in good stead. When Tim Fisher announced his retirement from politics around the middle of 1999, he agreed to give you the interview on one condition. What was that condition? Well, it was uh, something that caught me by surprise, Andy. I'd uh, phoned the day of the um, resignation, of Tim's resignation when he announced it um, in the House, uh, to um, great emotion and... Uh, I phoned his office and said, look, uh, we'd like to do an interview with Tim when he goes back to the farm for this weekend. And, um, uh, of course, that was the basis on which uh, he he, uh, uh, he made his announcement that the family needed him and uh, he he wanted to be there for them. So um, there was great interest in uh, the gallery um, uh, among my colleagues doing uh, that interview with him when he went back for the first time after this announcement of his resignation. And uh, I didn't hold out much hope really, but next morning I got into the office and there was uh, uh, Tim's office um, phoning me back saying Tim had agreed to do the interview with me on one condition and that condition was that I had to take all his trains, all his model trains in his office back down to the farm Peppers at Boree Creek. And so the next morning after that, uh, I went round there, loaded up the the, uh, the boot of the car and drove down. And uh, let me tell you, there were a lot of trains. <laughs> uh, it's not the first time a journalist uh, has t- tried to make themselves useful to get the interview, but this uh, <laughs> takes it to, to a new level. He, he really was clearly a good negotiator. Perhaps that anecdote really does illustrate that. He had a knack for knowing the best way to connect with people. Tell me how he was able to renew trade links between Australia and Mexico when he was uh, then trade minister. Yes, well this this was one of the 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 uh, the great strategies that uh, Tim was able to 
employ quite cannily. Um, he uh, struck up a, a good relationship with the, uh, uh, his Mexican counterpart and um, they uh, realised that they had um, a, um, a liking in common for playing snooker and um, they would uh, play games of snooker wherever uh, they, they met internationally and uh, it was through these games of snooker that uh, the, uh, the issue of trade was put to one side for a moment or two, uh, but it was always there in the background and on one memorable occasion uh, when uh, there was a, a negotiation going on, uh, Tim's partner uh, in the game uh, was faced with um, um, uh, either winning the game with a black ball or losing it. And the um, uh, result was that uh, the game was lost and uh, the negotiation that Tim wanted to succeed in achieving was achieved. <laughs> I do love this as a metaphor for statecraft, and it really is quite perfect, especially when it's, you know, you've got the Mexican trade minister Blanco peeling off his uh, penguin suit to get down and play snooker without Tim Fisher. P part of Tim's legacy really in the national psyche was bringing the National Party on board to support John Howard's gun laws in 1996, a, a politically treacherous move with a party built on the rural and regional vote. What do you think it showed about Tim that he managed to get his party support and help pass this legislation? It was an extraordinary act of political courage by uh, Tim to, uh, to uh, throw his uh, full support behind this move after the tragedy of Port Arthur. He knew that, uh, that, that backing the, the, the ban on guns uh, meant his leadership was on the line and it came at great cost to him personally and to the family. Um, you've got to remember that in rural Australia there, there, there was this need um, for guns um, on, on a working basis on farms, uh, for pest control and so forth. Uh, and so there was this, uh, this suspicion about what was uh, going to be involved if the, the uh, gun ban was, was implemented. And Tim was getting, and Judy, uh, his, uh, his wife at home with, the, with two young children, they were getting uh, white feathers in the mail, bullets in the mail. Uh, there was white powder going to other uh, families. Uh, it was a, a, a very uh, tense period. And for Tim, it, it meant that his leadership was on the line. But people underestimated his commitment to, to uh, this, this reform. Uh, it was believed among many people who really misunderstood him that because he'd been a soldier, he'd fought in Vietnam, that he would have this uh, support for guns. But in fact, Tim had seen what guns could do, the damage that guns could do, and was vehemently opposed to to um, to their um, uh, unsanctioned use. Uh, when when he got back from Vietnam, in fact, uh, he heard that some of his mates wanted to organise a, a rabbit uh, shooting party, and he threw up his hands in horror. Uh, and the party was cancelled, and a more uh, general uh, welcome home uh, instead was was held. But this. It was an insight into just how emotional the issue was for Tim. He was prepared uh, in terms of achieving this reform to, to really put his uh, his leadership on the line. If he failed, um, 
it, it, it would have cost him that leadership. He knew that he didn't have to do so. Uh, the Labor Party was going to support the ban anyway, and even if the National Party had not supported it, it would have been implemented. Um, but he knew personally that this was the right thing to do. Of course, he was a religious man. He, he went to a Jesuit school. He came out of retirement to become the ambassador to the Holy See. That was the last time I remember speaking with him. You, you say that that appointment prompted him to consider or reconsider his own beliefs. What do you mean by that? Well, he he was um, um, stunned by the poor reaction, the slow reaction uh, in the uh, uh, Vatican hierarchy to the allegations that were unfolding uh, worldwide about uh, child sexual abuse. He wanted to see that the church acknowledge, the leadership acknowledge uh, the, the extent of the problem and believed that by treating it as, as something that would go away, they were doing uh, a great deal of damage to the church. And uh, he... Um, as an ambassador, of course, he couldn't advocate for change in the in in the uh, in in the uh, church's rules. But he did make it clear uh, where he personally stood on this issue. If you just join me here on RN Drive, author Peter Rees is here. We're discussing his new book, "I Am Tim." Of course, in 1994, he was part of a car accident where two people in the other car died. He, he was cleared of any fault. But he seriously considered leaving public life afterwards, didn't he? How do you think this affected his work? It caused him to reevaluate his commitment to uh, uh, to to public life. I mean, Tim had um, uh, stood for Parliament the first time, putting himself forward as a candidate for uh, the seat of Sturt in New South Wales in 1971, promising personal uh, representation. And this he set about achieving to applying himself uh, with uh, great vigour on a very personal basis to the uh, to the complaints, the wishes, uh, what have you, of his constituents. Uh, and he threw himself into it and, and he continued to do this uh, over those uh, next years, next many years in both state and federal politics. It was the car accident not far from home, not uh, not long after he'd, um, he'd um, uh, married Judy Brewer. Uh, she was at home waiting for him to, to return from Albury from his office when the accident occurred. And it made him reevaluate just uh, how much time he was uh, he, he was putting aside to to um, to politics. And for a moment there, for a while there, he considered um, retiring, giving up politics because he was shaken. Uh, and in fact, um, he never really got over the full effects. Of the of the car accident, he he wore glasses uh, that uh, uh, were perched on the end of his nose um, after that because he lost his uh, lower peripheral vision, and um, uh, that was that that was something that uh, that made him really take take note of whether or not it was all worth it. In the end, he decided uh, that that it was, but it was a moment of great reflection. 
Of course, that Australian Story episode that covers Tim's relationship with his son Harrison, who, who lives with autism, or at least he's on the spectrum, really showed how much of a turning point this diagnosis was for Tim Fisher and his understanding of really what his family needed. Yes, he, he had to come to terms with the fact that he also had the, some of these same tendencies. It was a very difficult thing to, to, to um, uh, realise that, uh, um, that Harrison as such a such a, um, a young young child uh, had these developmental issues that he was on the autism spectrum um, that were and these were going to affect the way he lived for the rest of his life slowly tim came to to understand this um, judy and he threw themselves into um, in, into autism understanding autism and in that process he he understood that he too had similar traits in many ways to, uh, to Harrison. Uh, but as Judy put it, uh, these traits were not disabling. They were, in fact, enabling for Tim. He was able to ad- turn them to advantage, to political advantage, um, and, 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 and uh, use them as a positive. For you, Peter, as a political correspondent, it's obviously imperative to develop these good relationships with politicians to do your job well. It's often called access, you know. You've written 11 books, but no other political biographies. Why do you think Tim made a better subject for a biography than other positions? Was it this idea that he held strong values, but yet he was open to changing his opinions, things like gay rights and climate change being two examples of areas he was initially wary of but ended up adjusting his position, something you don't really see in mainstream politics anymore. Well, that, that's right. Um, and he, he, he was a quirky person um, who was um, who always had that, uh, that, that uh, je ne sais quoi about him. Um, we, we, we didn't really get to know the the full tim there was always something there that was um, worth exploring i thought i mean he was the sort of person who could be quite um uh, ingenuous uh, in in his attitudes in his responses and and the way he dealt with people uh, once he said to me uh, just off the cuff um oh before i got famous and he he wasn't uh, speaking through ego um or or uh, uh, building up his own self-worth per se uh it was more more an understanding that this was something that went along with what he had achieved um in political life it was an uh, a concomitant uh, of of uh, being in politics so it made him an interesting character um one who uh, had so many shades to him. He, he he was fascinating to watch close up. I mean, travelling in a car with him, um, as uh, as I did um, on one occasion over some some hours, uh, it was fascinating watching him phone various uh, media organisations, papers, radio stations as we drove through the country. Uh, and his intent was to give them each, uh, as he put it, a scoopette. Um, he, he understood 
his constituency and he and he he worked to build uh, his relationships to maintain his relationships with them because he knew that was the way that he could deal best with his uh, wider constituent base in the National Party. So all of these things made him a very interesting character, uh, one who'd thrown himself into, into politics, uh, so young after service in Vietnam, who'd sought to achieve things, been thwarted uh, by being in opposition, uh, and, and in fact, by the time he he actually achieved uh, ministerial uh, uh, promotion uh, with the election of the Howard government in 1996, he was only there for a, a bit less than four years. So uh, there, there was this culmination of, of his career uh, and what followed, uh, and uh, and all these components, I thought, made for a very interesting personality to be to be um, reviewed. And given that uh, Tim died four years ago, it was a chance, really, in retrospect, to be able to look back at his full life to see what he had achieved, uh, how he dealt with uh, issues in in public life, uh, the effect on his family, and and. Um, you know, through this to get an understanding of the man. Well, uh, Peter, he's clearly given you the biggest scoopette posthumously <laughs> for, for, for this book. Uh, he truly was a multidimensional man of, of great, great decency and uh, a great window to to really compare his calibre uh, of politician to today's I Am Tim, Life, Politics and Beyond, will be released on August 8th. Peter Rees, thank you so much for being my guest. Thanks very much, Andy. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.